Hello, and welcome to the Short Gun Sportsman, a podcast about handgun hunting brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. My name is Ryan Hoover, and I'm your host. I believe handgun hunting is the most rewarding way to hunt, and it's something I want to share with as many people as I can. If you are at all interested in getting your own game meat, I want to challenge you to a way of hunting that is good for both your spirit and your body, so you can become the confident, self-reliant person you were meant to be. Okay, everyone, after taking a break last episode to talk to the always gracious and incredibly experienced Mark Hampton, an episode that I recommend you listen to if you haven't, we are continuing on our journey of discussing how to get into handgun hunting and why you should. Today, we're going to be focusing on optics. We all know that there are not as many options for handgun hunters as there are for rifle hunters, but that's okay. There are some good ones out there, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. First, I talked to Heath Tyler. Heath is the owner of Tyler Classic Outdoors, which is a gun shop that specializes in handgun hunting. We're going to be talking about red dots, open sights, and pistol scopes, and some of our experiences and choices for those right now. And then in the second half of this episode, I'm talking to Ernie Bishop, who is known in our sport as a well-experienced, long-range specialty pistol shooter, and Ernie and I are specifically going to be talking about using rifle scopes on specialty pistols. So by the end of the episode, I hope you're all well-prepared to choose an optic for your hunting handgun. Heath, a few months ago, I think several months ago, I did a poll that's actually still going on, our industry poll of what, what kinds of uh, what kinds of things that handgun hunters would like to see the interest industry produce. And do you know what the number one answer was? I actually looked into that poll. So I do remember it being optics. You're right. Absolutely. It's interesting. Cause I wanted to talk today. We've been, we had a podcast about, you know, kind of why we love handgun hunting. And then we did one about how to choose your handgun and ammunition. And now I want to talk about how to choose what you sight with on that handgun. Yeah, that's great. First, open sights. Sure. You know, a lot of people just discount the amount of good aftermarket open sights that are out there. You got your Furman Garzas, your Hamilton Bowens, et cetera, that have a lot of good options. So if anybody is interested in maintaining the open-sided configuration of their handgun, there are a lot of options for that out there. I used, when I was building guns, I used Bowen sights all the time and they're, they're fantastic. Do you do much open sight hunting? I have some on the range, but I've not really gotten to a place where I'm comfortable going after an animal with open sights. Mm-hmm. The first deer I killed with my revolver was with my was with open sights. A forty yard shot, but yeah, it's another world <laughs> than using oh, a, a, you know an yeah. object. Yeah, the the first handgun I ever carried into the woods was an open sided revolver mm-hmm. and total miss. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of. Uh, I don't know if gunshot is the right word, but I'm just perfecting that, you know, if it makes sense. Right. And those guys that can make crazy long range hits with open sights are impressive to me. Yeah, absolutely. That's kind of really the thing is like, oh man, it's like a, you know, I romanticize about being able to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I just wanted to start by mentioning, you know, there is a good, basically like this, I always said, people should learn to shoot with open sights, just like people should learn to drive a stick shift. You know, because it's Agreed. it's just an old fashioned thing that you should have in your back pocket just in case. Yeah, absolutely. But moving on from that, we you know I, I kind of divide the optics into three, really three sections. One would be the red dots, 
and then scopes you divide into handgun long eye relief scopes and or rifle scopes that we put on handguns and rifle scopes is what I talked to Ernie Bishop about because he's got a lot of experience in that. But I want to start with you about red dots. I know the if there has been any advancement that has benefited handgun hunters over the last 30 years or more, or even 15 or 20 years, it's been the advancement of red dots and being able to put those on our hunting handguns. Oh yeah, absolutely. There's been a lot, a lot in that area. In red dots, there are two uh, further two division there. You have like the reflex style sight, um, the Trigicon, the fast fire, yep. the burst fast fire. And then you have the tube, yep. the tube sites like the ultra dot. Do you, yep. do you have a preference and what application do you see each one being more appropriate for? Uh, I've really fooled with the reflex sites much. Um, I have shot a few of them, but I just never really got comfortable with those, but I've shot quite a few, you know, or quite a bit, I would say, with the Ultra Dot. I, I've got a couple of those, and I really like them. What did, uh, what did you find difficult about the reflex style? I don't know. It just seemed like when I, would, when I would throw up with it, I just wasn't on target. I don't know, and it's probably just a lack of experience with them, yeah. you know? quite Not quite the way I was with the Ultra Dot. Ultra Dot was just, for me, it was just natural. Of course, now, granted, we're talking about reflex sight on a... Semi-auto, yeah. Versus ultra dot on. Well, I think I've had I've had them on revolvers and then a couple on some TCs. Yeah. When I started using, because I use a Burris Fast Fire three on my twenty two pistol, and yep. I've found it is exactly what you say. Like it takes quite a bit of practice to be able to throw the gun up in front of your face and be able to see the dot. Because nine times out of 10, you put the gun up too high and you have to lower the gun and you're like, where's the dot? Where's the dot? And it's, it's a totally different practice style to be able to, to find that red dot in the reflex site than it is, you know, with a tube site, you're talking more scope like, so you're naturally drawn to the center of that tube. Oh yeah. But yeah, I, I've been there and I, a lot of, you know, again, when I used to do this for a living, I'm mounting those kinds of sites before the manufacturers caught wind of the popularity of the reflex sites and they weren't offering factory guns with sight cutouts on their slides. I did a lot of, you know, milling of slides for RMRs or other reflex sites. And a lot of times, you know, you'd get somebody that they put one of those sites on their guns and then lift it up. And, you know, they kind of, you see them wiggling around like, Oh, this is going to take some getting used to. And that's, that's the truth. I see some of the guys putting the reflex sights on a revolver and I really, uh, I really want to explore that a little bit. The reason being is just so compact versus, mm-hmm. uh, the tube style, like an ultra dot or, or, you know, it's just, it's just so much less on the gun. It, to me, it looks so much better, you know? Uh, yeah. Uh, 100% agree. Those, uh, when you go to putting like a tube style on there, they get so, the gun gets so tall. I don't know. That just, I don't, I don't know. I think it would be, I think I want to try that on the next, you know, thing I do. Yeah. I've been thinking about try. that. Uh, my, I had my wife shooting my GP 100 357 and, uh-huh. but she also has shot my 22 handgun with the Burris on it, the reflex. And yeah. I want to put that sight on the GP 100 for her to use 
Because you're right. Part of the reasons that we're handgun hunters a lot of times is for the compactness of what we carry into the woods and being able to sure. have a reflex sight that is that small. It's really cool. It's, I mean, it, it extends your range for sure, at, even though there's no magnification, but the precision of it, you know, it's good for lower light. It's good for guys with vision issues, guys and gals that, you know, need glasses. And it's, a, it, yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool world out there, but you're right. It, it just looks great. Yeah. Well, you know, some of these, some of the tube styles, I mean, they're very nice, you know, like with a 30 millimeter tube, mm-hmm. I don't feel like you really get the the field of view with 30 millimeter tube. So I don't know. To me, I, I think that's probably going to be my next little, you know, thing to try out. Yeah. The reflex. I'm the opposite of you. I have more reflex experience and less tube style experience. But for those who yeah. don't know the, the benefits of each, generally... A tube style is going to be more rugged, going sure. to be more protected. Obviously, the, the glass is covered more and it's just more impervious to damage. The reflex sight, obviously, you get a smaller profile with. Both benefit from the fact that there really is no parallax. You know, wherever your head is and you see the dot is where the bullet's going to hit and ease of use as far as being able to see the dot. But another thing about red dots that people need to take into consideration is the size of the dot. How are how do most red dot manufacturers list the size of the dot and what does that mean for the average shooter? Man, this is a this is crucial right here in my opinion. So many of these, you know, they're listed as an MOA, two MOA to six MOA or whatever it is. And man, I if you're not careful, you can get a dot that covers your target completely. Yeah, for, for people listening who don't know, MOA is a fancy trigonometry term for a minute of angle, which basically means, I mean, it's not exact, but it basically means one MOA is one inch at 100 yards. So if you have a two MOA dot and you're looking at a circle that's two inches at 100 yards, your dot will completely cover that circle. Uh, yeah. Just just for just for people who aren't familiar with the lingo. But yeah, I have a, the, the fast fire I have has a three MOA dot on it. And I don't really have a lot of problem making headshots on squirrels at the range that I shoot at, you know, which is probably 30 yards is a long shot. But yeah, for stretching it out there, definitely, especially on smaller game, the, those dots. And I don't know, have, do you know of any manufacturer that makes a one MOA red dot? No, I, I don't, honestly. And I'm not saying they don't, but I just haven't ran into it. But, you know, I, I feel like I've been able to kind of make do with the two. And what I generally do is, is I zero so that the very top of the dot is my point of impact that said yardage, you oh, know? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. But you've got to have a good crisp dot to do that. You can't do that with, you know, something that's you got light going every direction where the dot is. It's got to be pretty crisp. And that that goes to buy, you know, it's more important that you spend that you buy higher quality optics than it is gun because the gun will get it done. But optics, you'll you'll notice more the difference in price in the optics. And with red dots, the major difference between a high quality and a low quality red dot is not necessarily the glass, but the clarity of the dot, meaning does it look like a perfectly sharp circle or whatever shape it's supposed to be? Or is it more like a, a fuzzy lint ball? Yeah, that's and, a good way to put it. Yeah, and that's that can, I mean, if you're doing deer size game out to 50 yards, maybe even a little further, it's not going to make that much of a difference. But if you want to be precise, spend the money to get the good stuff. I agree. And, you know, back to thinking about the tube stuff, it makes more sense to put a tube style sight on 
a gun like a, a contender or another specialty pistol that's more of a medium short range gun because those guns are already really big. Yep. And so, you know, adding a bigger sight to it is not as not as big a deal, but put it, you know, taking a four or six inch revolver, nothing wrong with it. But if you're trying to get a compact package, then those reflex sights make a little more sense. Agreed. So moving on from red dots, which first of all, my, I'll make a recommendation right now based on my experience, having helped a lot of people set them up. I want to specifically talk to people my age. I'm not too deep into my forties now. And I recently started wearing reading glasses and, um, you know, those guys for whom their eyesight just wasn't what it used to be. I think red dots are the next step up from open sites. And if you're having problems seeing open sites, you should seriously consider a reflex style red dot. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Moving from the red dots into the scope section, that's that's kind of the one where the, the handgun market has been left behind. Can you explain to people listening what the what we mean by handgun scope? Well, uh, what I think of when, when you say that is uh, extended eye relief. And some even use the scout-style scope, which is kind of a medium eye relief, I guess you would call it. What do you mean by eye relief? The distance at which you have to hold the firearm away from your body uh, to get a full sight picture in the scope. No black circles. That's that's kind of what, when, when you say handgun scope, that's what I think of. Exactly, and that's how manufacturers classify them as a long eye sure. relief or extended eye relief scope. Yeah. Obviously, extended eye relief or hand handgun scopes, our options for those are severely limited compared to traditional rifle scopes. What are some of the ones that you have experience with and what do you, what do you like to use on a, on a handgun scope? Man, my favorite so far is I've been using, they're not made anymore, but the Bushnell elite handgun scopes. I've never, Um, I've never used one of those. What is you have to find that that on the used market? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can usually, I usually find those on flea bay or gun broker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you like about them? And they're just super, super clear. Hmm. I've got one on my 375 JDJ, and it's holding up to the recoil pretty well. Mm-hmm. And they're relatively inexpensive compared to, like, say, a loophole. Uh, I think for me, you know, getting into handgun scopes, I, I, get, I wound up with one of those and just – I haven't found an application where it didn't meet my needs yet. What's uh, the what's the mat? Is it a variable scope? Uh, I think the the elites are all two to six by thirty two. Okay. Again, what that means is that you can magnify the what you see through the scope from two power to six power, and that the objective lens, which is the front of the scope, is thirty two millimeters big. I'm I'm just trying to avoid <laughs> I'm just trying to avoid us falling yeah. into the trap of the curse of knowledge here. Absolutely. What's different between the those older elites and the new Burris handgun scopes? Because Burris is one of the only concerns. There's another one that is hot on its heels, but Burris is one of the only concerns right now that has a decent line of handgun scopes. Yeah, to be honest with you, um, I I have never I've never experienced one of the Burris handgun scopes. Just I don't know. I've had I think I've had I've owned a couple Burris rifle scopes, and I, but I've never for whatever reason, tried one of their, their handgun scopes. I have one of their current manufacturer on a on my 629, my 44 mag. I have yet to shoot it. Yeah. I think a lot of, you know, and when I think of especially like a handgun, cartridge handgun, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, yeah. 
I like to fix two X. And now I don't think there's an elite in that, mm-hmm. but right. I have fired quite a few. And there again, I, I'm using the older used bush nails. They're made in Japan, super mm-hmm. clear glass. They're fixed two X, which I don't know if anybody else that makes one has a 32 millimeter lens. I really like those. There again, super clear. I mean, shoot. <laughs> It's it's shorter than the two to six. It's more compact, and it's it's really affordable for if someone is just getting started. It's really a great way to get going. And honestly, I haven't torn one up yet, so I haven't had a reason to buy anything else. There you go. You you find something that works and stick with it. Yeah. Well, I just like I said, I haven't. You know, I've got those on. You know, on three seventy five JDJ. I've not. It hasn't let go on me yet. Yeah. <laughs> not a small caliber. Uh, but you know. I know some of our guys have got some mega, mega caliber guns, and they they probably would have a recommendation on what to put on those. I don't know. You know, you might have to go to a loophole or something like that for mm-hmm. those. I, I will say that personally what I have found as far as if you are uh, getting into handguns or you're getting away from open sights and looking to get into optics and you get a scope, Get something with low magnification to start, especially. I started with a four power and it was way, I mean, it doesn't sound like much because a four power, you know, funny enough, I started with a four power loophole FX2 was, all it did is magnify how shaky I was and a handgun scope. It's hard to find your target quickly with that level of magnification. But I was hunting the other day with my scope that I have now, which I'll talk about in a little bit which is a variable power. And I turned it up to four and I was like, Oh man, I'm surprised at how steady I can hold it now that I have more experience, but don't over magnify. You'll hear this in the interview with Ernie, but he was joking about how guys have this kind of addiction to magnification and about how, you know, when I was a gunsmith, I would see people's magnification just turned up all the way and you don't need to hunt deer at 75 yards on 15 power, but yeah. And Lower magnification means wider field of view, means more area, physical area you can see when you look through the scope. Another thing about scopes, I don't know if this is true. You can tell me if you think this is true, if you hear this, because I don't hear it as much. You know, in the rifle world, when I was doing doing all that, I got a lot of people wanting to get bigger objective lenses because of the quote unquote light gathering ability of that scope. Now, you're right in that there aren't a lot of handgun scopes with large objective bells. Yeah. But do you, is that a thing for handgun hunters, do you think? I think it to me is less about light. Okay. And more about field of view. Yeah, right. Because the the extended eye relief scopes, you're going to be a little short on that. Just uh, if you're. If you're coming from a rifle optic, that's going to be something you notice, you know? Right. And I used to I used to write curriculum for a correspondence gunsmithing school. And so I did research into this. This is, this is just an interesting aside. You know, people talk about needing a rifle scope or a scope with this big a bell because of the, you know, it's quote unquote light gathering. And the amount of light that comes through a scope is, uh, I'm kind of, phrasing it down because I I can't explain it as well technically, but it's called the exit pupil. And so, so, you know, if you have a scope that delivers like an eight millimeter exit pupil, you're like, Oh wow, that's a lot of light. Well, the human eye, I think can only accept 
up to a five millimeter. I may be wrong on my numbers, but the point is that you don't have to get very far on your scopes, light transmission to, for the scope to be transmitting more light than your eye can make use of. And as you get older, your, your exit pupil in your eye becomes even less. So it's not a good reason to put a bigger and bigger scope on, on whatever it is. You know, I always try to tell people that, you know, it's not light transmission these days has a lot more to do with the quality of glass than the size of the objective bell. Agreed. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Again, we we're talking about availability of handgun scopes and how they haven't been. <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah. I know you're you're in the business. You have a gun shop that caters to handgun hunters. What can you just list the ones that you know of the scope manufacturers that make a handgun scope? So I'll start with. You know, probably one of the more well-known ones, uh, Leopold, yeah. obviously makes some, but I think their offering changed a little bit this year. Maybe it's a color change or something, but they they have kind of gone down, I believe, in what they offer. You um, mean in, in number of variations they offer? Yes. Yeah. Burris, uh, obviously another very well-known one. Mm-hmm. We know about the Crimson Trace, Yeah. who... That for sure has a BDC reticle. Yeah. Vortex, I think, offers a scout scope that guys have been using on handguns, which is kind of neat. I've I've played around with that. I don't own one, but I think that would be a viable option. For a short time, and I don't know if they're still in production or not, uh, you could get a Weaver just released some, like maybe a year or two ago. Huh. And you get those through Natchez Shear huh. Supply. They're the only place that offers those. Hmm to my knowledge, um, and they're supposed to be pretty decent. Um, and then from there, I think I've seen a handful of others that you can get involved with on eBay or something like that, but I, I don't know that I'd recommend some of those. I've seen some out there, Edge or something like that. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Those are BSA. Yeah. 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 I have a I have one of those on a 22. I don't really have a lot of experience with it tend to shy away from Chinese made glass just as a personal thing. But yeah, as far as used scopes go, what are some of the, you know, you mentioned the Bushnell elite that isn't manufactured anymore. And I'll add one to that. The, um, the old Simmons, the Simmons back a long time ago were made in the Philippines and uh, they were a really high quality scope that was got a reputation as being pretty recoil impervious. And if you get a TC scope, with the TC label on it, that that's one of those scopes, most likely. Yeah, yeah. I've got one of those Simmons. It's, yeah. It's a variable power, and it's pretty tough. Well, one thing I'll say about it that I, you know, it's a one-piece tube versus the Bushnells that I have or not. And I'm, so I'm talking that, about older manufacturer here. Oh, yeah. So, you know, you got Bushnell. They have the regulars and the elites. Uh, those are made in Japan, and they're pretty solid, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, weavers. I've had a few weavers. They make a fixed and a variable power that you can get. They're made. They're also made in Japan. And I really like the two X. They made a two X and a four X and a variable power. I've never, I've never fooled with with those. I don't think. And then I've got Burris has got an untold amount of variations that they used to produce. I mean, from target knobs to you know one X to variable. I mean, just all sorts of them. You see a lot of the old Leopold M8 2Xs. Mm-hmm. Those are those are pretty solid. Man. Those are. I, yeah, I, those I, have a great I, reputation. 
Yeah, they do. And, and they, they look better, I feel like, on revolvers, you know. That's my personal That's taste. true. I, I love how you're always consider, con, uh, concerned with the look. And I'm not being I'm not being sarcastic. I, I, I think, you know, cause one of the things that we always harp on as handgun hunters is like, you know, one of the things that we like about it is the intangible love of this cool thing that we get to hunt with. And so there's nothing wrong with that being a consideration. I'm going to move on to now. I want to talk about you tell me if someone comes to you today and says, I want to buy a new in the box handgun scope. I'm going to go first because I've been using one. And then you can tell me your recommendation. If it's the same as mine, that's fine. But I recently this year set up a 730 waters contender and I topped it with one of the new Crimson Trace Brushline Pro pistol scopes. It's a two and a half to eight scope. It's got a BDC, like you mentioned, little diamonds down it. I haven't done a lot of dope work as far as sighting it in to take advantage of all the BDC stuff. I've just basically been using it as a plain scope because that's all I've had time for is to just get it sighted in and go hunting. But I've been nothing but impressed with it. Having seen dozens of different styles and manufacturers of scopes over my career, this is a this is a great out of the box scope. It's not super expensive. I think you can still pick one up for under 400 bucks which is pretty darn good for what it is. The glass is clear. The eye relief is is generous. The ring, the power ring that turns your variable magnification up and down is easy to use and not one of those ones where you got to shift your position to like wrench on it. The clicks on the turrets are great. Um, I, I've really been enjoying it. And so that's my current recommendation for a handgun scope if someone says that they want one that's manufactured today. Oh, yeah. I, I've had one of those and it was good. I liked it. I, while we're talking here, I, I hopped online and it looks like Burris does make a handgun scope, uh, two to seven by thirty-two. Oh yeah, with a BDC. They call it their Ballistaplex. Yeah, yeah. And I honestly think that if I was to get one, and I like I said, I would feel safe recommending the one, the Crimson Trace, just because I've used one. I know it's good. Yeah. But I think. Uh, for me, the next one that I'm going to get will probably be this Burris. Uh, that's funny you mentioned that because that scope has been around in one iteration or, or another for decades. You know, some of the guys that have just done so much handgun hunting, that was one of the go-to scopes for a long time, a long time. You know, if, if you got a handgun and you were going to top it with a variable powered scope, that was the one that you're going to get. Probably all there was for a while. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, no, that's a good, that's a good pick. That's a good pick too. I've got a 309 JDJ that I will have at some point. And I think that's what I'm going to put on there. Do you have a 309 right now? No, I don't right now. It's just on the list. It's on the list. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Okay. Well, I hope you uh, listen because the next section of this podcast is my interview with Ernie Bishop. Heath, you know about why shot. I told you about going out there and shooting long range with the specialty pistols that use rifle scopes. And some of the questions that I asked Ernie, you know, were about how did he find out about rifle scopes on handguns? How feasible is it? What capabilities does it add to the handgun? And should you be worried about getting scoped? So now let's listen to my interview with Ernie Bishop. Ernie Bishop, thank you so much for talking with me today. My pleasure. So you're kind of known in the handgun hunting world as the specialty pistol, you know, long range guy. Um, you do Y-Shot. You put that on every year, which is a long range competition that 
I greatly enjoyed the year I got to come. Um, but what I want to know is some of your background in how you discovered putting rifle scopes on pistols. Did you start there or did you start with handgun scopes or tell me that little bit of a story? Well, in the uh, mid to late 80s, I began using a, what was a contender. I had two barrels, a 10-inch 222 Remington, and then picked up a Super 14 7 TCU barrel. I used pistol scopes on both of those barrels exclusively. The introduction to a rifle scope on a specialty pistol came via Steve Hugel, a longtime friend of mine. And as we began to hunt together, one year as we were getting ready to pack in, in the foothills west of Fort Collins, going up Highway 14 up the Poudre River, he didn't have a pistol scope for whatever reason. And he had a factory Remington XP100 and seven bench rest Remington. And he had a four to 12 Bushnell banner and he put it on it and practiced a little bit and realized that if he just pulled back, he could safely use that scope. When I realized what he was doing, I told him I thought he was crazy. <laughs> That's funny. And so did you get to try that gun? And is that kind of what made you a believer? I never, I never shot that 7BR. We were each hunting with our own guns, and so I, I never fired it. And from what I can remember, didn't have any desire to. Mm. But he showed me that you could do it safely. And so that was my introduction. I have no background in Ishma or, you know, metallic silhouette shooting. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have any influence from that discipline whatsoever. So, but that was my very first time that I knew someone personally that used it with success, but I didn't immediately jump to using a rifle scope on my own rigs at that time. When did you make that leap? It would have been early 2000, if I remember correctly. We went to a, a Bauer long range pistol class up in, uh, in Nebraska, and it was the first time I ever met Don Bauer. Mm -hmm. And I was short on pistol scopes, so I put a 6.5 by 20 VX3 long range target on a 6.5284 Center Grip XP. And that was the first time I used a rifle scope on a XP and did absolutely fine with it. I had no problems whatsoever. So that's kind of when I proved it to myself. So was it, it was more out of necessity than dissatisfaction? Yeah, it was yeah. more out of necessity. Well, let me ask you this, because you're the one who kind of gave me the idea of using rifle scopes. And when I saw what you were doing, it, it led me to putting rifle scopes on most of my specialty pistols. And so a lot of times when I tell people that, you know, the number one question I get asked, and I'm sure it's the same for you, is don't you worry about getting scoped or getting hit in the face with a scope from, from the recoil? I can say that I it is on my mind, but the majority of the time it is not even a concern. I know that, um, you know, as you've been doing it and gained experience, probably developed habits that prevent that from happening. But uh, when you were first getting into it, or someone who is considering it, uh, is that something that they should worry about? Again, it depends. I know one of the things is, you know, why would I decide to pick a rifle scope over a 
pistol scope mm -hmm. or a handgun or a specialty pistol. And so that would depend on a lot of factors. So when someone is talking to me about that, one of the first thing I ask is, well, you know, what kind of platform, what kind of specialty pistol mm -hmm. are they using? I'm going to, this will be really more focused on, on specialty pistols sure. uh, in center fire. And so the, the questions that I ask them is, okay, well, what, what kind of gun are you shooting? And then, and then I say, well, what's the chambering? Because if someone's shooting a contender and they have a 4570 barrel, I don't care if they have a break or not, I'm not going to recommend that person use a rifle scope. I want to know what's, you know, what kind of, what kind of specialty pistol it is, what is the basic weight of that gun, what is the chambering, even curious many times to know what bullet weight they're shooting. Mm -hmm. And then I want to know, does it have a break or does it not? And what uses do they really have for it. So those are some of the things that I ask people for me to get a good idea to where I would even consider recommending them using one. Let me ask you this then. When I was at Y shot, I shot one of your personal guns in 6.5 Creedmoor. It was a center grip XP. It did have a muzzle brake on it and it did have a rifle scope on it. So if somebody sees a gun that you already have set up with a rifle scope, how do they, how do they abate being worried about getting scoped? Well, first I, I tell them it, for instance, that six, five Creed that you were shooting, countless people had shot it before you male and female, young and old, and that the gun's not going to hurt you. And what I have them do the very first time, I just have them get, get a full field of view and then back off to where I know that is more than a safe enough distance. And with all the other fundamentals in play, I, you know, have them press the trigger and let them feel the recoil or many times the lack of it. And sometimes I will even video a side profile of them shooting so they can see how far that scope is coming back toward their face and let the actual evidence be like, and they're going like, well, that didn't kick at all. <laughs> and I don't think it came back very far at all. And you show them. And then I explain that even with this gun, the one that we happen to be talking about, you know, shooting it prone in the dirt, it will come back differently than it would on a smooth steel bench. It's going to skate backwards more easily than it is with a bipod on dirt that kind of you know kind of digs in and provides a little bit of resistance and then sometimes when someone shoots one of these for the first time they have like a death grip <laughs> yeah. on it and i'll let them have that death grip and then once they realize the gun's not going to hurt them then we talk about not holding it so tightly and the idea of consistency and how to use the rear bag and but also know that when you change positions from like seated benched or prone and you go into some more odd field positions, you need to remind them that that gun is still going to come back differently in different field positions. Then I just make sure you're, you're pulling back enough. And I let them know that if you don't respect that, that even an XP like that 6.5 Creed can still bop you in the face if you forget, you know, some of those things. So mm -hmm. I, I want them to recognize that although it's a tool, 
if you forget the safety rules of it, it can still come back and give you a kiss. Right. Yes, exactly. Well, since I've been using rifle scopes, the, I mean, I guess the most recoil that I've used a rifle scope on would be a, an unbraked 708 Encore. And I still, and I haven't gotten scoped at all from just paying attention, you know, being an ex gunsmith, I'm kind of aware of where your face should be, but also from watching and learning those videos you mentioned uh, are really great. Some of the ones I've seen that you've taken and you, you wrote an article for the six gunner uh, several months ago, and you had some photos that you had extracted from those videos. It's really eye opening to see how proper technique can mitigate recoil. And another thing is muzzle brakes, the importance of a muzzle brake, because you've shot pretty wild calibers in specialty pistols with rifle scopes and from what you've told me before, muzzle brakes are a lot of the key to being able to do that successfully. What do you look for in a muzzle brake? I typically am, am looking for a solid bottom brake, especially if I'm going to be shooting that specialty pistol from the prone position because I don't want getting dirt and everything else all over me and my gun and yeah. everything else. So I, I prefer a solid bottom brake. And then brakes have different levels of effectiveness. You know, when you're talking, you're, you know, 223 and that class, you know, a little bigger, a little smaller of cartridges, or then you get into the, the 308 Winchester family or the Creed family, necking up or necking down, and those typical 473 bolt face short action cartridges. But that class, many times you don't have to get one of the better solid bottom brakes, but mm. pretty much any good solid bottom brake will allow you to use a rifle scope safely. Uh, now, do some brakes work better than others? The brakes that tend to work better, and I'm sure a lot of the people who will listen to this recognize that on on some brakes, the, the ports are angled back, like a reverse thrust, so to speak. Right. And some of these brakes, although they are effective at reducing recoil, they get they give an incredible concussion yeah yes which is very which is not good and so some brakes don't give as much of a concussion as some of these other brakes do so it really comes down to preference it comes down to to budget anyone who knows me that my favorite is Holland's radial baffle because it not only does a good job of braking but it also ports the gas kind of up over your head and it, it's just extremely effective. I, I do love that Holland break. Going to uh, Y shot, a lot of times when I tell people about handguns in general or you know what, what we do, people who are unfamiliar with it automatically assume that our range is limited by using a handgun. And I know both of us know that barrel length has nothing to do with accuracy, just velocity. And being at Y shot, I think that the year I was there, the furthest target was over 1400 yards away. And with you spotting and the rest of our team helping, I was able to hit it at on my third shot or something. And that was my last target of the entire course. But you know, it was really, I don't, I'm not a big proponent of people hunting at that range, but it is definitely a indicator of what those kinds of guns are actually capable of what are some examples that you know of where adding a rifle scope to a, a specialty pistol has been just a, a capability enhancer well depend again depending on uses it's a capability you know improvement 
in several arenas. I've used and even competed with long eye relief pistol scopes, even in long range steel tactical matches, two man team shoots that Steve and I did years ago. And, you know, we did pretty good. Uh, instead of shooting an AR, Steve shot an XP, which really slowed us down. <laughs> but uh, we were known as the pistol guys. I really wish I would have had a rifle scope on there. It would have been given me so many more advantages, one of which is a better field of view. So I was shooting the 6.5-284, the same 6.5-284 that I shot at the Bauer Clinic with that rifle scope. So that would have been so much better because with that gun and its recoil and its weight, I could have safely seen greater than a half a field of view with that Leopold and which would still have been a lot better. My field of view would have been so much faster. My I, I would be able to get on the target faster. It would have helped me so much there. Better glass, that's another area where, you know, with the rifle scope, you, you have the op opportunity or the option. I mean, you have to look at your budget but it's easier to get better glass, overall better glass than the pistol scopes offer. I also have more internal, more adjustment. I can dial more for elevation. I can also dial more for wind if needed. Of course, I have more magnification, better reticle options. Uh, they are immense compared to what you can get in a pistol scope. So long story short, there's so many more options that you have with rifle scopes. I have a couple of questions for you just because I'm curious and I'd like to hear from somebody who's actually done it. Can you tell me first the largest chambering in a specialty pistol that you have used with a rifle scope? A 375 Shytac improved. <laughs> Is that a, a, a rear grip? That was a rear grip. A center grip, I had a 338 AX, which was a 338 Lapua improved and it was in a center grip xp and i shot the 300 grain match kings just under 2700 feet per second wow i wouldn't just let anyone shoot that gun it came back on you but the funny thing is it had one of kirby's pk breaks painkiller breaks it was one of his shy tack breaks when i jumped down to a 250 smack i mean you know match king yeah the recoil was it was so insignificant wow Compared to the 300 grain, it wasn't funny. I think that's one reason why when people are asking me, you know, should I put a rifle scope on the specialty pistol? One of the things that I want to know if they're really talking a big boy cartridge is, you know, what bullet weight? Because I don't care if it's the best break in the world. A break cannot even begin to work until the base of that bullet exits the muzzle because it works off the gas. And so you're going to feel that initial recoil impulse as if there was no break till the base of the bullet exits the muzzle. And so whatever that is, with the weight of your gun, the chambering, the weight of the bullet, and the velocity, it can't break that. Mm -hmm. I mentioned when I was at Y Shot, the, lar the farthest target we shot at was over 1,400 yards. But you guys, the day after, y'all usually have an ELR, which stands for Extended Long Range Shoot. Can you tell me the furthest distance that you or someone you have been with has made uh, a shot on on a target on steel with a pistol at? Well, let's see. A number of years ago, Aaron Alexander was 
trying to get a 2,000 yard plus prairie dog kill and he was using a bench pistol in seven millimeter Dakota. I think he was shooting 180 grain burger hybrids. And we put a target out past 2,000 yards and kind of gave us an indicator. We put a little flagging up there and he hit that target multiple times. And and then that one year at Y Shot, I think we put up the furthest target was at 2020. And I know uh, Matt Drefke used my seven Dakota and hit that target fairly quick. I was spotting for him. Uh, we hit it with the uh, with the 375 Shytac also. I think those I think those times are the the longest hits on steel that I can remember. Further is is very possible. So, over a mile away. That's uh, oh yeah yeah that's really cool. I just love the potential that handguns have at that. Lastly, you've had obviously had a lot of experience over the years with both handgun and rifle scopes. And I've polled HHI members as well as some other handgun hunters. And the number one answer to the question of what do you most want the industry to produce is optics. Can you give a couple of options for handgun scopes and rifle scopes, one for the more budget-minded and one for the less budget-minded? In pistol scopes, the ones that I have used over the years the most have been Leopold and and Burris. More inexpensive, I mean, a lot of the other pistol scopes, like some of the Bushnell line and things like that, are so many are no more. And now there's a new kit on the block, you know, now for pistol scopes, Crimson Trace. Is that the right yep. name? I didn't. That is the right name. Actually, I've been using that pistol scope on my 730 contender this season. You know, I have one of those and I've used it more on a 22 than I have on a, a center grip so far, but it's, it seems to be like a, a really good scope. And I would add that to the group and I would probably put the Weaver because it's definitely less expensive in that more budget-based for pistol scopes. Mm -hmm. In rifle scopes, are, now you're, are you talking about primarily for that you would want to use for long range or even just for short range? Just, let's just say general use, like most adaptable. Well, you know, in, in the rifle scopes, even if you stay within a, a two to eight or three to nine or three and a half to 10 or three to 12 in the rifle scopes, you can go and shoot short and, and long range. If you're just using it mainly on a fixed power and you're just doing holdovers, you can get by with a lot less money. You don't need turrets that you can zero mm -hmm. and all of that because you're not you're only going to use them to zero the gun and but if you're looking at turrets that you can zero and you know they hold pretty good then i would probably look at you know bushnell makes some good scopes and when you get if you want like a ballistic reticle uh the burris veracity is a is a is a scope that's not real expensive or the old xtr2 is still being made oh. the glass isn't great compared to the more expensive models but as a great reticle has really good turrets and they're very repeatable but that's a big heavy scope that was the one that was on that 6.5 i was shooting right an xtr2 yes yeah i really enjoyed that scope 
a lot of people wonder why I use the 3 to 15s on the loaner pistols for Y shot. And it seems like guys seem to have a addiction to magnification. <laughs> yes. And they think that they have to have 20 power, 24 power, 30 power to hit the target. And for new guys, I'd rather them hang around somewhere around that eight to 12 to 13 power for almost all shooting done at Y shot. They can find the targets faster because it, they have a, you know, a larger field of view. And it also is not going to show them their wobble quite so uh, graphically. And then they see the wobble and then it gets inside their head and then they try to stop it and they make it worse. And then, and then even with the three to 15, we have a lot of new guys that are constantly turning their magnification up and down, up and down. And all they're doing is wasting time and breaking the foundation of their, mm-hmm. their fundamentals right. and everything else. So, and so it, I guess it depends what you would call economy glass. I can define it for you. Okay, thanks. What I mean is, I'm not talking about cheap. I mean value, you know, best bang for your buck where you don't have to buy a $2,500 or, or more night force, uh, but you're also not buying a $150 Walmart scope. So are you talking, are you talking from like 600 to a thousand dollars or are you talking like $300? Yeah, let's do between like 300 and 700. Well, honestly, I don't buy scopes very much in that price range. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to be a good indicator of what you can get at that price point, because usually my stuff is going that, that I look at intro is going to be in that, you know, that seven to 1200. I mean, at one time you could pick up a Citron S3, six to 24 for just over $600. Mm-hmm. And that was my, you know, is still one of my favorite budget scopes that, that can run with the big dogs. You know, it's just a really good piece of glass for a reasonable amount of money. Probably the, and I don't know what it costs, but a scope that I really like, and I think it's definitely within your budget level, is the Cytron S-TAC series. And I just really like that scope. It does a, a really good job. It, it, I mean, I've shot long range with it. It's a 3 to 16, mm. which is in that perfect magnification range. And... So within that, those scopes on on Midway right now, oh, they're on sale for $249.99. Wow. Uh, so that would be a scope that I have and that I use. I have like four of them. Mm-hmm. So I guess that would be, I, I really like Citron's optics for the money. I think they are, they, they, I've competed with them in F-Class, a thousand yard, and I've used them on my guns in the uh, the MOA bench rest shoot. And I, I think they're a great, you know, bang for your buck. And so you get into that thousand dollar range, the $1,200 range. I've used some of the upper mid-level Vortex. The Cytron S3 6-24 to has always been, and I even ran that scope on my Shytac pistol and it holds up to it. it it's just a, a really a really good scope. I've blown two expensive scopes on those Shytac pistols and the Cytron keeps running. I'm not going to mention the scopes I've blown on it. Uh, but one of the things against the scopes that gave up is they were too heavy. I've used a lot of the VX3 uh, in the past and and the Very X3s before that uh, for hunting. 
I'm really liking the VX5 HD. It's a little bit more expensive scope, but it's it's just been a really reliable scope for hunting. And it's like the three to 15 class. So the, and then the, then the XTR2 line is in there. And then the XTR3 line, you get better glass and all of that. And then it just goes all the way up into your alpha glass, which is crazy expensive. Yeah, the sky's the limit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You can spend an incredible amount of money on one scope, but. Okay, so um, have you uh, have you planned the dates for Y Shot twenty twenty three? Yes, but I haven't put it up on the the website yet. But I we've always done it. Started it the Monday after Father's Day, which is June nineteenth, and so June nineteenth through the twenty first will be the dates for Y Shot this year. That's great. Folks, if you can make it to Y-Shot, I highly recommend it. Even if you don't have a lot of experience shooting these kinds of guns, Ernie is a good teacher, a great spotter, and uh, it's just a great time with a great bunch of guys, lots of patience, lots of support, and lots of fun trying to, like you said, if you can see it, you can hit it. That's yes, that's a quote from a friend of mine. Yeah, that's yes, on, that your, I use. on your Y-Shot gear. That's really great. Well, Ernie, thank you so much for taking the time to lay this out for us. I, I really appreciate it. You've been such a huge help to me through the years, both when I had my shop and with HHI and with learning about how to set up long range pistols. And thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. It's fun. I enjoy doing it. Another good one. Hopefully that gave you some perspective on the choices for handgun hunting optics out there. If you have any suggestions or you think that we missed something, please reach out to me and let me know. And if you have any specific questions for my guests or myself, you can reach me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. I'd love to answer those for you. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. This episode is brought to you by Handgun Hunters International. Handgun Hunters International is the premier organization for handgun hunters. We have a cool website where we have a great, well-moderated forum that is friendly to all ages and experience levels. The Six Gunner, which is our bi-monthly digital magazine, is written exclusively by HHI members and is free to the public. We host giveaways of guns, gear, and ammo each month, and every prize is worth several times what membership costs. Help us fulfill our mission of supporting and growing the handgun hunting community by joining today at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Again, if you have any questions on how to get started in handgun hunting, please reach out to me at ryan at handgunhuntersinternational.com. Please leave us a review and don't forget to follow Handgun Hunters International on social media at handgunhuntersint. Thank you all and good hunting.